Chapter 18 of Carpenter's World Travels, Alaska, Our Northern Wonderland, by Frank Carpenter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. Homesteading Under the Arctic Circle The Tanana Valley has the largest body of good soil in Alaska. Much of the land is in what is known as the Tanana Bottom, a tract about 200 miles long and in places 70 miles wide. Altogether, it is about as big as the state of New Jersey, and its cultivable area is one-fifth as large as Ohio. I motored today through a rolling region as beautiful as the foothills of the Alleghenies. It was difficult to realize that we were just below the Arctic Circle. The thermometer was at 90 degrees in the shade. There was no snow on the tops of the mountains, and the hills and valleys were covered with green. At times, we passed through plains thick with wildflowers. In some places the ground was covered with blueberry bushes, their fruit as large as cherries and loaded with juice. Now we passed through forests of birch, spruce, and cottonwood. Where the woods had been cut or burned away, there were vast expanses of flaming pink flowers as high as the wheels of the car, and everywhere the roadside was hedged with grass and red top that reached to the hubs. Now and then we bumped over corduroy, our automobile bouncing high under the fast driving of the yehu of this northern frontier. We passed many small farms cut out of the woods, with oat, hay, and potatoes in blossom. We saw cattle grazing, and by and by came to the government's experiment farm in the heart of the Tanana Valley, about four miles from Fairbanks. The farm covers 1,280 acres of gently sloping hillsides and bottomland. At one end of the farm stands the new Alaska Agricultural College, commanding magnificent views for 50 miles up and down the Tanana Valley, taking in Fairbanks and the Blue Mountains far off in the distance. On a bright day, Mount McKinley, the tallest peak on the North American continent, is visible. The campus includes a forest of silvery birch trees as straight as arrows. As we rode by the farm, we could see men cutting trees and burning brush. A little farther on we came to grain fields, not little patches, but fields that would be large on any Virginia farm. We passed tracks of oats ready for reaping and rode through barley four feet high. Above these on the hillside were long strips of Siberian wheat, ripening side by side with strips of experimental grains of one kind and another. The work of these experiment stations is not like that of the ordinary farm. Crops are not raised to be sold, although enough is produced to feed the stock, and there is sometimes a surplus. The business of Uncle Sam's agricultural experts here in Alaska is to test out grains and plants and find those best adapted to the country. The old patriarch's agents have scoured northern China, the desert of Gobi, and the highlands of Pamir, and have ransacked the frigid zone, looking for seeds adapted to the territory. They have seeds from Abyssinia and samples of grains from the Atlas Mountains of North Africa, and there are no end of plants that have come from Finland and Norway, as well as from northern United States and Canada. It has been found that potatoes do well in this part of Alaska. 200 bushels per acre have been grown, and the valley is now raising about all that is needed for the towns and the camps. One year, the station sold the yield of five acres for $3,500, and it has records of three acres which have produced a value of from $500 to
to $600 per acre for years in succession. Some claim the tubers lack the mealiness of those of the Rocky Mountains, but those I have had have been dry and delicious. The home of the station farmer is a one-story cottage surrounded by beautiful flowers. Near the cottage is a hothouse where tomatoes and cucumbers are grown, and across the way are barns and outhouses where grain hay is stored for the winter. There is also a root cellar in the side of a hill not far from the barn, where the potatoes and other root crops are stored as soon as they are dug, which is sometime in August. Just opposite the root cellar and a little below it is a large turnip patch. I climbed the fence and pulled up a turnip which was eight inches thick. By actual measurement, the leaves were 17 inches long. The crops at the Fairbanks farm are similar to those grown at the government's experiment station at Rampart, right under the Arctic Circle, where I stopped for a while on my way down the Yukon to Tanana. One of the things that interested me there was the way potatoes are sprouted. They are often started in greenhouses or cold frames. About four weeks before planting, they are put in trays and lightly covered with soil. Sprouts come out to the length of from half an inch to three inches. When they are planted outdoors, they are so set that the sprouts just reach the surface. The tubers given such a start indoors more than double the yield of potatoes planted in the ordinary way. Another crop which has turned out well at Rampart is a yellow-flowered alfalfa imported from Siberia. In the United States, alfalfa roots sometimes go down many feet into the soil. Here in Alaska, when the alfalfa roots strike the glacial ice bed that ends freeze-off, but the roots keep spreading out above the ice stratum. Speaking of Rampart, I am reminded that I saw there Rex Beach's deserted cabin. Once it was in the midst of the seething excitement of a log cabin metropolis of the gold fields. Then the placer deposits played out, and today the place is practically deserted. Many of its houses have been cut up for firewood, and others are falling in ruins. Beach's hut is a one-story shack made of slabs and boards. Over the rude door hangs a pair of white caribou horns from a beast that may have been shot by the novelist. There is a pile of wood outside the cabin, lying just as it was when the last occupant left. I am told that Rex Beach came here to mine gold. He failed to find the precious metal, but he unearthed the load of human interest stories and tales of adventure that have delighted us all. The history of his stay at Rampart is prosaic. The only story I picked up relates to an Indian woman who, according to the custom of the country, had three straight blue lines tattooed in ink on her chin. Rex Beach had bought some fish of the squaw and wanted to find her to get another supply. Asked to describe her, he said, I don't know her name, but she has carried her head in the air. She is short and dirty and has her house number marked on her chin. It is 111. But to return to Fairbanks, we left the experiment farm and visited some of the homesteads nearby. The first was owned by a man named Young, who came to Alaska some 10 or 12 years ago. He took up 320 acres of government land, a large part of which is now under cultivation. He is raising oat hay and potatoes. He has also a big greenhouse where he grows tomatoes and other vegetables for the mining camps and the town. Mr. Young was not at home when we called, but Mrs. Young showed us about. As we looked over the farm, I asked her how she liked living in this far-off Alaska. 
she replied that she had been a little dissatisfied until she had gone outside last summer but that since she returned she had had no desire to go out again this country is my home she said and a mighty good home it is you can see what the summer is like we are perfectly comfortable during the winter we always have plenty to eat we get high prices for all that we sell and we are farther ahead every year at that moment we were looking over the stock in the barnyard which included two big sows each of which had eight or ten little month-old pigs running with her mrs young pointed to them saying we sold a pair of those pigs yesterday for twenty dollars that will give you some idea of what things will bring in this country our next visit was to the dairy farm belonging to a mr hinckley which supplies much of the milk and cream consumed in fairbanks mr hinckley also sells butter buttermilk and cottage cheese he has twenty cows which average three or four gallons of milk each twenty-four hours they are what we would call in the united states good ordinary stock the dairyman has not bought any hay for several years but relies on the native grass and his oat hay for his stock he says the oat hay is quite as good as timothy and very much crisper before leaving i pulled up a handful of the young oats growing outside the barn and measured the stalks they were eighteen inches long though the oats had been planted only three weeks before we went on to visit a three hundred and twenty acre truck farm on the very edge of fairbanks this is a homestead taken up fifteen years ago by stacia rickard the wife of a businessman of fairbanks mr rickard has built here a very pretty cabin surrounded by flowers and his home is as well furnished and as comfortable as that of any well-to-do farmer of the states he has cleared about one-fourth of the land and the farm is one of the show places of alaska the ground is as flat as a floor and as green as the valley of the nile he is now cutting oat hay of which he has many acres he has also great fields of barley and potatoes the latter in full blossom the rickard farm supplies a great part of fairbanks and ships vegetables to the towns and the mining camps for miles around it sends green stuff to hot springs and fort gibbon as well as to the gold mines of the iditarod and ruby the gardens of this farm cover twenty or thirty acres as we walked through them i asked about the crops and was told that there were in the ground twenty thousand cabbages thirty thousand stalks of celery and some acres of head lettuce the celery which is especially fine grows to a height of four feet some of it was sent to montana a few years ago to show what alaska could do and president taft sampled it during his trip through that state he declared it the finest he had ever tasted as we went through one of the fields i pulled up a cabbage and put it on the scales in the greenhouse it weighed twenty-six pounds there are several hothouses each devoted to a different crop there is one which is one hundred and twenty feet long that grows melons only including watermelons cassabas and cantaloupes the cantaloupes sell for a dollar a pound and some of them bring four or five dollars the vines are trained upon wires running along under the glass and from the beds up to the roof from these wires the melons hang down the heavier ones being supported by slings to prevent their breaking the vines in other hothouses tomatoes peppers and cucumbers are grown farming conditions are altogether different from those of most parts of the united states fairbanks is only about one hundred miles south of the arctic circle and the growing season is short ranging from three to four months 
and extending in favorable seasons perhaps a half month longer the last spring frosts occur about the middle of may and frosts begin again during the latter part of august or the first of september the long summer sunlight makes the crops grow very fast however this part of alaska is a region of scanty rainfall heavy showers are almost unknown but it drizzles often in summer and much of the rain is during the growing season the yearly average is about ten or twelve inches of water including the snow of the winter besides the rainfall there is the moisture from the layer of perpetual ice below the surface of the ground end of chapter eighteen